Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen and I am your host. For this week's episode, we were lucky enough to be joined by Eric Villa, who's the founder and CEO of the Diesel Garage Foundation. We talk about a variety of different things in this episode, with a, with a main point being some of the barriers that students have when they go to get into a career in the diesel business. A lot of this applies to the automotive side as well. And Eric's got some pretty interesting insights and suggestions to industry. So uh, a really, really good episode. And before we actually get into the episode itself, I did want to talk about the winner of our higher or lower game for last week, and that was Joseph Snyder with a high score of 42. With that, Joseph won a $100 Amazon gift card brought to you by RepairSmith. RepairSmith is the most convenient way to get your car repaired. RepairSmith's mobile mechanics come to you and complete your car repair at your home or office. They make the process easy from start to finish by offering upfront pricing, online booking, after-hour support, and a full warranty. RepairSmith is actually also a partner of ours here at Wrenchway, and a really cool place to work at, really cool concept. And uh, if you're a technician that's out there looking at opportunities, make sure you check out RepairSmith. They've got a lot of really, really great opportunities. Now, with that, Joseph had a shot at the Queen of Hearts pot which is now up to $3,200. Unfortunately, Joseph did not flip over the Queen of Hearts, so that's still up for grabs. If you want to crack at that $3,200, make sure you head out to the Wrenchway app, do the challenges, play the games, and really the odds at getting this $3,200 and it just keeps going up each week, the odds of getting that are getting better and better. So somebody's going to flip over that queen of hearts and win an awful lot of money. And hopefully it's you. If you want a shot at it, again, make sure you get out to the Wrenchway app and, and play the games in order to win the money. It's uh, it's real money. I think it's it's funny because in the past when we've sent out that pot to whoever's the, the lucky winner's been, they're just shocked. And it's a lot of fun to see what they do with the money. And, and overall, it's just a lot of money to be able to win. So hopefully uh, we get a lucky winner here sooner rather than later. That pot is really, really getting up there. And, and hopefully some lucky winner gets it here sometime soon. So without further ado, I'll get out of the way, let you enjoy the podcast with Eric Villa and hope you enjoy it and hope you join us next week. Take care. On today's episode, it's my pleasure to welcome Eric Villa, who is the founder and CEO of the Diesel Garage Foundation. Eric's got a really cool background and one that I think a lot of you will enjoy hearing about. We're going to hear about what he's doing at Diesel Garage Foundation. So how are you doing today, Eric? Not too bad. How are you doing today, Jay? Thanks for having me on. Yes, yes, absolutely. I've been looking forward to having you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Diesel Garage Foundation to get things kicked off? Well, that's a good good question. A lot of people ask me all the time, well, what is the Diesel Garage Foundation and what are you doing? Well, what we're doing is trying to help the diesel industry. Uh, as you and I have discussed before numerous times with uh, other colleagues of ours in the diesel industry, we're super short on diesel technicians. And that number is just growing and growing and growing. And, and people are looking at going, okay, well, how do we get into that? Well, what's the biggest barrier to get in there? We're going to talk about that some more here in a minute, though. But what we're doing 
is helping individuals that want to go into the diesel trade, help them with scholarships, with tools, so they can use, utilize that, get through school, and get a job right away. Giving back to the diesel industry, which has supported me and Diesel Garage Medium, what I do to take care of doing the industry promotions, diesel events from around the, around the country. I've, I've helped to promote diesel events from Texas to Florida to Alaska, here in Nevada. So it's all good. It's all diesel stuff. So as many of you know, who know me, I diesel swap everything, but we can't quite do that just yet. I'm working on it. We'll get it figured out. So uh, what brought the passion for the diesel industry to you? Uh, I'd love to hear more about your story of growing up and, and how you got to, to become so in love with the diesel business. Well, I grew up uh, around the diesels. Stepdad, when I was growing up, drove semi. And one of the first semis that I got to ride in was actually one of the old Ford, a regular cab, single wheel, single axle rear end. And it was just the biggest, I guess, if you will, now the biggest turd you could ride in. But it was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And then went up to a Mack cab over. I'm like, yeah, there you go. That's where it's at. The cab over, it's a nice ride. I get, I get to be in the side seat. You know, this is pretty cool. So I've always been around the diesel industry. And, and I spent 17 years as an oil rig mechanic from Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, Gulf of Mexico, working on top drives, mud pumps, anything on the drilling rig. That was my job as a motor man when I first broke out, working on that stuff on the rigs. And then I went up into top drive technician and then moved my way up to rig mechanic. And just, I love everything about working on stuff and everything. And the diesel industry is just a, just a passion. Those engines do a lot more than a lot of people think. I mean, if you think about it, we wouldn't have these computers or these cameras if we didn't have diesels delivering it to the store. Yeah. So they're going to be around forever. But yeah, there's things changing in the diesel industry that, that are restricting a lot of power to them, but they're still around and they're still here. So to me, that passion is, is great. We need technicians to do something on there. Yeah. So, and I just want to give back to a great industry, which there are certain people giving back in, in their own way. But I don't know about too many people that are giving scholarships back to individuals that want to go to school. Yeah, and and we'll we'll talk about that part. I've got two questions for you based on your upbringing. One, how, how you grew up in Alaska, correct? No, I grew up in Montana. You grew up in Montana and then yeah. moved to Alaska when you were working on the oil rigs. No, nope, I traveled uh, usually in the oil rig. If you're not familiar, a lot of them work. The schedule is two weeks on, two weeks off. Yeah. So you travel to wherever that drilling rig is at for two weeks. You work your two weeks and then you go home. I worked in Alaska two weeks on, two weeks on, and I'd fly back, you know, lower 48. Or if I was in working out of Houston, Texas for, for a top drive drilling company, I would fly down to Houston, get in a, a company truck, and I would travel around Texas and Louisiana and the Gulf of Mexico, wherever they said, hey, go over here, work on this, go work on that. Okay, cool. That's fun. So I'm I'm fascinated with that because it's something I don't know a lot about, right? Is that the that that oil rig mechanic, and yeah. even that lifestyle. And so, a couple I've got a couple of questions on that because I th I feel like it's genuinely intriguing. But you so you just would fly out and you go out to the rig. They and you you just kind of do you just stay out there all 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 of the two weeks, or are you coming back and staying in a hotel, or how does that work? Well, most of them, it depends. If you're on the rig side of stuff and you're, rig, you're, you're dedicated to a rig on, on a rig crew, most of them have man that are off location. Some of them are on location. It depends on by company and how they do stuff. 
So you go out to work, you work 12 and a half hour days because you got a half hour safety meeting. You work your 12 hours, do what you got to do, drill in the drill in the well, whatever, whatever that takes. Then you go back and you get your, your time off to sleep and eat. And it's pretty much, uh, that's it for, for, you know, two weeks straight. You're, you're sleeping and eating and going to work because you're dead tired after <laughs> you're too tired to get in any trouble. <laughs> yeah. So you go back and a lot of them have man camps. Now, Alaska has man camps for all their stuff. And so you go up there, you go to work, you go back to the man camp and the company actually pays for stuff and it's all um, catered up there to where you don't have to buy groceries. You know, you just bring your, 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 your gear with you to work and, and stuff like that because you're not doing anything else and there's nothing to do it out in the middle of, of Prudhoe Bay, there ain't, there's no, you know, you're not going to go clubbing. You're not going to go to this. They, they don't have a lot of that there. It's right. all work related. So everything up there is work related. So you're up there to work. So you work your two weeks on or three weeks on, and then you get your two weeks off. You get on the plane and you fly out of Dead Horse or a Park back to Anchorage. And then I would fly back down to Seattle and then back to wherever I was at, you know, get back home for my two weeks off. So, and then if you're on the rig side of stuff, that's how you do. But as a rig mechanic traveling around or say a top drive technician, I was working 35 days ISMT, which is 35 days instructional training on a brand new top drive on a drilling rig. So I'd go out for 35 days straight. I would be on the clock 24 hours a day on call. I would get some sleep. But if I needed to be on the rig, I was there for 35 days straight. I helped commission a lot of different new top drives in the Colorado area some in Texas and some in Wyoming. Really great job. Love the people that, that you meet there because they're just a bunch of hardworking people. Great friends that I've had over the years. Some some of my best friendships have been from there. And then some of them from the time when I served in the Navy. So it's just been really good and, and different, a whole different atmosphere when you go top driver service hand versus a rig personnel because you got a whole bunch of different things to do and different assignments where you stay is different. You could be staying in a man camp you could on the rig side, you could be staying in a hotel the whole time on the service side. <clears throat> it just depends on what was going on. So is that what you did in the Navy as well? No, I worked on the jets, learned how to do some hydraulic stuff on uh, the air wing, worked with uh, the EA-6B aircraft, electronic attack squadron, and uh, just did that. I, I like working with my hands and I like working on stuff, trying to tinker with things. So, and then I'm like, well, I said, sooner or later, my body's going to start giving out here and there because there's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of physical work on the building. Yeah. The Navy isn't no joke either. You got to work hard when, especially on the aircraft carrier, you got a lot of extra duties and it's 12, you know, 12, 16 hours for flight ops. I mean, you're, you're up and you're doing stuff and that's just the way it is. So I was like, you know what, how can I help give back to the diesel industry? How can I make an impact and leave a legacy of saying, okay, well, what did you do in life? What did Eric do? If something were to happen, what did Eric do? Yeah. Well, you know, he just worked, he took care of his family, had a retirement, just like everybody else. I'm not better than anybody else. I just want to do something a little different. So I'm like, hey, how do I give back? So I started Diesel Garage and I thought, okay, well, if I promote it enough, we'll, we'll grow the sport and people will start getting back into it. Yes, there's a whole lot there, but it's not the impact that I really wanted. So I was like, how do I make that real impact? Well, if I can help make a real impact of getting people into school, into those jobs as diesel technicians, I think that's the best that I can do. So nonprofit started. Here I am a year later, getting stuff done, helping people out. It's like, man, how, how do you go wrong with helping people uh, help themselves get a job? Because you think with this pandemic, tell me a job that you, you know of that hasn't quit. Right. 
right? Diesel, diesel technicians, they're still in high demand. The parts are a little harder to get sometimes. <laughs> you hear it all the time. Man, we're waiting on parts, waiting on parts. But diesel technicians are still there. Welders are still working. Machinists are still working. Those are the three big trades that support the diesel industry. Yeah. You know? so yeah. It, how it, can, it, how, Truly know, kept America you, running through the pandemic. I mean, I, I think that's something that I, the general public's eyes were maybe opened up to a little bit was that, hey, you know, if if there's food shortages and, you know, everybody's freaking out because they're going and buying toilet paper and, and water at <laughs> Costco, you know, like I, yeah. without trucks, that's not even there to begin with. Right. And I think that's oh. such a such a key element and one that I think the general public maybe had their uh, had a paradigm shift on in terms of how they looked at the the trucking field in general and 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 how important it is to our, our basic economy and, and your basic ability to live well it's anything i mean jet fuel delivered to the airports for people travel our, our furniture clothing i appreciate the truckers because my stepdad growing up was was a driver so i knew that the importance of getting stuff somewhere to point a to point b was through truck drivers. And what do truck drivers drive? They drive the big semis that are diesel powered. So it's not going anywhere. That's that's the workhorse and the backbone of America. I mean, it literally, you truly look at it, it really is the backbone of America, what we got going on. So why not promote it? Why not keep people in there to do stuff and to help out? Well, and I, I 100% agree. One last question on the rig side before I go on to to really dive into to everything else. Okay. Did they supply tools, or how do you how do you get tools to be able to work on the stuff? Usually, the companies provide all the tools. So, on the rig side, they'll have their own toolbox in there, and and every rig has their own their own set of tools, and, and they've got their own budget for tools and and materials that they need. You know, consumables versus non-consumables, you know, stuff like that, you know, uh, rags, box of rags, you know, things like that, pipe dope, you know, to put on the pipe for connecting them, things like that. Uh, all those different things are all in a budget in, on a rig. So they have their own set of tools on each, each drilling rig has their own set of tools. You don't have to bring any, although you can, they encourage you not to, because then it's like, okay, you, you go to leave and they check your bags. Why, why do you got all these tools in there? They're mine. Are you sure you're not trying to steal from the rig? <laughs> It's unfortunate, but people have done that. And it's like, okay, so you really just kind of have to go with what you have. I always brought a little bag just in case. And I had my initials engraved in there. So that way they knew they were mine. If something were to happen, I'd show the show my tool pusher and the rig manager and, and let him know. Say, hey, look, I, I bring a little bit just in case we don't have it. And, and it gets lost because tools get lost. So they do that. And then as a top drive tech and a rig mechanic, you're pretty much supplied with that because the company is hiring you to, to go out and say, hey, we need to go fix this top drive. Well, we're going to give you this set of tools right here. And this is a set of tools that specialized for what you can do right there. Uh, rig mechanic, you pretty much have a, a work truck with a, a utility bed full of tools and you usually fix stuff. Sometimes you get creative and, and you don't you don't have to use the tools there. And there's little things that you can do to get stuff done. But you usually have all your tools with you. So it's not too bad. You don't have to roll your cart around all the time like in a semi shop. <laughs> or as a, a diesel technician in a uh, dealership. Yeah, toolboxes have wheels for a reason. They move them around and, and when people quit, they can get their tools and go to their other job, but you don't have to bring a lot of that stuff with you when you're doing those things. Interesting, yeah, definitely 
a part of our industry that I'm not overly familiar with. I've, I've had some friends uh, that have done something similar, but nothing to that extent. And it's it, that part is really fascinating to me just because I've, I've not had much exposure to that. So it is pretty cool. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about what you're doing at the Diesel Garage Foundation. First and foremost, where, where are you out of? We are based out of Las Vegas. Las Vegas. And give me an idea with Las Vegas. You're, I'm assuming you're not just right off the strip. You're you're in actual Las Vegas, right? Yeah, no, I I don't play on the strip. I'm the, I, you know, I got other stuff to do. I'm not a gambler, so I don't go down and gamble. <laughs> so I got, I got other stuff. I got people to help. I got to help myself. Keep my, you know, lights got to stay on somehow. Yep. So I can't pay my bills if I'm down there trying to be a tourist down on the Las Vegas strip. You know, I go down there once in a blue moon. No big deal. I got a lot of other stuff to do. So I'm, I'm here in Vegas and just off the strip towards Henderson there. And that way I can get stuff done. I can get in and out airport real quick. I yep. use a fence to help people out. So it's pretty good. Well, all right. So now let's with, with diesel garage foundation, let's just talk about the foundation itself for a second. You started it around being able to help young people get into the industry and maybe removing one of the barriers, one of the big barriers, which is the, the cost of, of education, right? Of, of trying to get in. Is, it, exactly. is, that, is that true? And I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it seems like such a cool initiative. Well, it is. That is the biggest barrier. Because if you think about it, uh, a lot of things nowadays within within the past five years, I'm not saying college is a bad thing. I'm not saying you have to do it or you don't have to do it. But trades, you can get in as an apprentice on then do on the job training for a lot of different different things. And you're able to do that without a college degree. I know friends that have college degrees that are looking for work yeah. because of different things. Things are shifting and ever changing in the past five years. We don't know what's going to go on. It's been uh, up and down you know, all around. One thing that stayed consistent though, is the trades. Trades are always growing and you always need people. So what is the biggest deterrent for somebody going to get uh, a skilled trade? Cost of the college. They're like, man, we go to school and we got to pay student loans. We got this, we got that. And we got to get tools. And when we get out, we got to buy tools. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the colleges and different things like that, like, yeah, you're going to need tools. Well, when you go to school, they don't tell you, Hey, it's going to cost you a lot of money, a lot more money for tools. They know that they're going to cost money, but they don't know exactly how much. Well, it could be in the tens of thousands just to be able to do your job and that. So say you, you were to buy a full set of tools. You wanted to go to work for say Chevrolet. And you're going to be in their their diesel department. All those tools have to come out of your paycheck. You're not reimbursed for those. So we have to buy our own tools. So if you spend twenty five thousand dollars in tools, guess what? That comes out of your your rent money, your grocery money, your gas money. That's not that's not paid back. That's not reimbursed. You have to have those to do your job to make that that good money. And you're not going to get out of school with going to a job and saying, Hey, I need to make so much money an hour. Cause I got to pay for all this. Well, if you have a, a scholarship, you have tools provided. What is your worry when you get out of school to go get a job? Yeah. No, I, I think that that's a really valid point. 
So talk to me a little bit about the the tool side then. You know, it's obviously a bigger barrier, not only in the diesel industry, but in the automotive sector as well. What what are you what are you seeing out there to help pay for for tools? Maybe tool reimbursement programs. Are you seeing any change or any shift in the industry? There's a few companies out there that do a tool reimbursement. Not very many though. I haven't heard of it for a little while. For students especially going to school, the bigger tool companies like Matco, Snap-on, and uh, you know some Mac. of the other ones, yeah. Mac and, and different things like that, Cornwell, they all have student discount programs where they discount the, the tools for the students. So it's beneficial for them to go ahead and try to see if they can build up a nice toolbox while they're in school because they get that discount. And every, every company varies. So I, I can't say exactly how much is this and this and this. I just know that when you're registered in school and you're attending a trade school for stuff like that, say, for instance, the diesel industry, you can apply for, you know, let them know you're a student and they see that you're in school. You'll automatically get that discount where you can order the tools and they got a representative, obviously, that goes by the schools, you know, once a week or whatever to to say, hey, we're here to help you guys. We got the tools you need. What would you like? It's on your student account. Okay, so you get a discount. So that's a huge plus. That's a really big Take advantage of for a student to take advantage of those tools that come by because they're cheaper. Uh, you're not paying full retail because you're in school. So take advantage of those. That way, when you get out of school, you've got as much as you can on, on sale, so to speak. How do you so one of the things that I always get concerned with when you look at student discounts is maybe a student overbuying and putting them in a and putting themselves in a bad position right like one yeah. example i'll use that i saw pretty consistently a student going and buying you know a $7000 toolbox because it's cheaper you know they they can buy it for cheaper but then they're not buying all the the actual essential tools they need and so they've got this nice big fancy toolbox, but you know a basic set of wrenches and and right. uh, sockets and whatever, and maybe not not approaching that program maybe the right way. They go for the flashy piece rather than the the actual tangible piece that can can get stuff done for them. Right. Do you, do you see any any value in educating students on what the right stuff to buy is? You know, yes and no. There there's a really good benefit. You can. We can teach that stuff and we can let people know and experienced technicians from all over. We could go to a diesel shop here in town and say, hey, when you started out with your tools, when you started out this career, what did you start with? Most of them will tell you they had, you know, and back in the day, they had the little rollaway ones, the little craftsman ones or the snap-on ones that were about the same size. And they've evolved over the years to where they're monstrosities now, but sometimes you need that. So in informing them, or getting that, teaching them, saying, hey, look, the toolbox isn't going to make your money. Yes, you need a toolbox to protect your tool to lock up at night where you're at. Get one that, that, that starts out good, but make sure you, you have those quality tools that aren't going to break all the time. And make sure your tools are in there so you can actually do the job and, and make that money. And as you, as you continually earn more, you can upgrade your boxes from there. So say you get a, a, a three-drawer cart or a six-door cart. Okay, great. That, that's a great start. You can put tools in there. They're not too expensive. And you can get the right tools of everything you need to lock up in there. You know, a, a year or two later, or even six months later, you're on the job, you're out of school. You got all the basic tools of what you need that are good. Hey, I got a little bonus here. Oh, okay. 
hey, Mr. Tool Truck Man, I, I really like that toolbox over there. Can we work out a trade deal where I trade in this box and you give me that one and I can upgrade a little bit because I'm going to need some more tools because every mechanic outgrows their, their toolbox. Yeah. And they're always getting something bigger. They want something bigger. It happens. It's just part of the job. Oh, it's really cool, right? Like it's it's yeah. nice to have a nice box. I think it, yeah. it you know, it's a, it's a nice to have thing for sure. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like you said, you go out and buy the, the biggest expensive box you can with all the bells and whistles. No. Make sure you have the tools so you can get that toolbox later. Work on the tool first so that way you can do whatever whatever task it is that you're presented with. And then you can earn work your way up from there. And I think that's about pretty much how everybody does. That's how I started. Yeah. I'm sure that's how most everybody else started is, is hey, we're going to start with, that with, with what we need and we're going to work our way up and then we're going to get something else. Yeah. And, and honestly, in a lot of cases, you don't even know what you need until you're until you're in the shop and working every day. And, you know, I think you can see a tool flyer and think a tool like I was guilty of this. Like, hey, that looks right. awesome. I'm going to spend 200 bucks on something that I don't necessarily truly need because it looks cooler than maybe the thing that you do truly need. I'm pretty sure every mechanic out there. Every technician, gas or diesel, it doesn't matter. Marine diesel, agricultural diesel, whatever. Everybody's guilty of going, ooh, look at that. That's like a, <laughs> you know, it's like a, a toy catalog for, for grown kids. You look, it, at it, you look at it like, ooh, that's nice. It catches my eye. I, I want that one. It really and, is. It, you know, yeah. but, and then we look at it and go, man, well, maybe we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's part of like, learning. Okay, I'm not going to fall for that one next time. It's part of life in general, I feel like, in, in learning uh, how to be a responsible adult. But right. yeah, no, it, it is it is true. And it is a barrier of entry, but one that I think with some education, we can get around. And then also, you know, when I say education, just smarter buying practices. I'm not saying don't go buy Snap-on tools. Just make sure you're buying the right ones. Make sure you're buying the right, right you know, what whatever it is, you know, and understand what it is that you actually need. And then Two, you know, I think there's opportunities to supply tools. I know that's something we're seeing more and more are whether it's tool reimbursement programs or, you know, different types of incentives for having the right tools. I, I think I'm seeing that more and more out of shops as, as there is such a shortage of technicians are trying to figure out ways to appeal to good technicians. But yeah, definitely a huge barrier of entry and, and one that you know, if you're going to work in a white collar job and you just get a laptop, uh, it's it's not, you know, there's no barrier to entry there. So, you know, as we look yeah. for ways to make this easier to get people in, I think I think there's a lot of opportunity on that end. Well, yeah, if, if you can help, it doesn't matter what school it is, whether, you know, I just happen to be passionate about diesels. It could be, you could be, you know, a plumber or a a framer or or something like that, you know, where you build houses or something, or it could be something you want to go to college for. Any which way it is, you want to make sure you have the right tools for the job. So you want to go to school for this. Why are you going to school for another job when you want to try something different? It's just like the tool selection. Make sure you got the right tools for the right job to where you can do that. And if we can help them and say, hey, look, here's, here's a little bit better set of tools or the different tools you're going to need for this job. This is what's going to help you get done. That's why we start out with a basic set of tools in school. Get them the basic set of tools. Get them a basic box that they can start out with. That way, they're starting out right there. They've got a good idea. And they can ask their peers and teachers and stuff like that, hey, what sort of tools am I going to need? Oh, hey, you're going to need some of these things. 
So that way they're tool specific, like you said. Well, and there are companies, one specifically that's a, a partner of ours and, and some of the content that we do, Sonic Tools actually does a really good job with entry-level kits and trying to get people set up and making sure that they have at least a foundation to build off of. If, if those of you that are looking at ways to some of these barriers, I guess, removed, I, I would encourage you to look at Sonic because I think they're, they have some, some really uh, cool starter sets that that don't break the bank but are also super you know super efficient you know being able to teach them how to how to organize their toolbox like you had just mentioned i think is is a really big factor so moving to the tuition side now you know the, okay. the tool barrier is one huge barrier then we right. got the the tuition side you've got a high school kid that's wanting to come out go to tech school wants to learn the trade you know one of the things that we we talk a lot about with our wrenchway content in general is being able to stand out to that high school student and show them why this is such a cool thing to be a cool industry to come into i, I you know i'm right. biased as well i love this industry but talk to me a little bit that initial phase when you get a when you get somebody looking at coming to school and you're trying to to show them that there are areas of opportunity to remove barriers what what goes into that i mean what what are we doing there where we're talking to that high school student and trying to get them trying to lure them into our industry what have you seen as successful ways of doing that you know that's a good question i have i haven't been around to a whole lot of schools yet to see what their program is <clears throat> but on the other hand a lot of schools in the past 10 years have cut out shop class, yeah, which is really hurting everything that we have going on. We, you know, Mike Rowe talks about it all the time and I, I got to give him credit. Mike, you're killing it. Yeah. You're watching this great job, but we got to get the trades back in the school. We've got to get the shop classes going on. I had shop class. I, I, I worked on lawnmowers. I did a woodworking class. I'm like, sweet, this is great. And now you look at these schools, they don't have it. There's no shop class. There's no woodworking class. There's no hands-on experience. They, they, don't, they don't teach you that stuff. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of stuff that they don't teach you in the school. We're not even going to get on that, but <laughs> there's no shop classes. And so how are people supposed to get enticed to go to these jobs if there's no shop classes? If there's nothing that they can be interested in and say, man, I took a small engines class. I love working on these things. Then I started working on bigger things and bigger things. and and, you know, taking it over the years and they want to be an automotive technician. They're like, sweet, if I can work on a lawnmower, I can work on mom's car here. Sweet, let's do that. So getting them enticed at a younger age like that on that from the high school side is a little bit more difficult because we're, we're missing the shop classes. We need to get shop classes back into the schools in, in the worst way because we're still building houses. We're still building roads. We're still working on cars. That's not going to go away. Do that. And yeah. they used to have those. But now they don't have those classes available to get people enticed to do those jobs. They, they push, go, go, go get your you know, college degree to be a doctor or lawyer. Yeah, we need doctors. We need lawyers. We need those things. But we also need the trades. So it's a little harder coming from schools and, and areas. And, and there's a lot of uh, states that have really cut out a lot of funding for shop classes. So that is a little, that's a, a, a good question you have there is how do we get them back into that? I think part of that is we need to get the trades and the shop classes back into the schools. We need to figure out how we can help and promote that with these schools and let these schools 
and these communities know, hey, we want to get this back in there. We need your help. Go to the school board meetings and, and say, hey, we need we need the shop class back in there. My my, you know, Johnny wants to learn how to do this. We need to help do that. So that's a little different. And that's a whole challenge in itself right there to do that. So if you go to the other side, say me and you, one of us lost our job in the pandemic. You know, like I said, what's the one thing that's that's a constant? Diesel mechanics or automotive technicians. We're they're in need big time. Yeah. Yeah. So to get people into there though, and from what their other trade was, like, hey, I would love to do it, but I don't have the money. Well, guess what? Diesel garage is completely funded by donation. So the more we can, the more money we can raise through donations for for to do this, the more scholarships we can give out. Our goal is to give a hundred scholarships out this year. So if any of you are listening out there, when you guys do, you know, we're, we want to put a hundred students through school this year. Are you guys going to help us? Let me know. Let Jay know. Get a hold of us. We'd yeah. love to love love for you guys to be a part of it. So that's just what we want to do. And well, it, and I lot. one thing there too, Eric, that I think is important to understand from the shop side is you we we have to build a better foundation to this thing to to fix this right and i think by being able to contribute to somebody like diesel garage foundation you're you're helping put more people through programs you're helping putting more people into the industry and right. maybe if it doesn't even necessarily have a direct impact or immediate roi on your business there is still a lot of reason, a lot of reasons to to do it and and to participate because you're helping foundationally the industry get better and maybe it that tech you help give a scholarship to ends up in going like ends up going to work for your competitor and by doing so that you know maybe stops a competitor from going after your technician and what everybody's so afraid of is the current environment which is kind of like the wild west where everybody's stealing right. from each other that could help with that that could help foundationally make that piece of the industry better so i think i think there's a lot of value in that and i think there's a lot of value in what you're doing in trying to bring finances to financing these these students to get them through school because what you're doing is removing one of those barriers one of those major barriers that we talked about earlier in the podcast Right. Yeah. It, it, I appreciate that. Thank you for your support as well. And I, I think it is a really good thing once you get break it back down to what is the foundation of the diesel industry? Yes, people make them. But what is the actual foundation once they get them, once they hit the car lots? What's the ideal and what is what is the first thing they're going to look at? All these new trucks right now. You buy them. What are the what is the percentage of odds you would put on that truck being back in the shop within the first two months? I don't know. Probably a hundred percent. A lot of people would tell you hundred percent because they're, they're, they're just not building them quality the way they used to. So if they go back into the shop, who needs to be there? Yeah. Your technicians. Exactly. So the foundation of the diesel industry partially has to deal with the technicians that are trained to know how to do that stuff and the people to manufacture. That's the base and the core of the foundation of the diesel industry. So how can we help bridge that to where we have the technicians and we have people building it? Because you can have them build it all you want, but if, if there's no technicians, they're all gonna be sitting on the side of the road. 
because they don't know how to get them fixed. So we need to have the, that technician base in the foundation of everything and build that back up because we're so short. Yeah. And to go back to something you had mentioned, I don't even know if it's necessarily that they're not building them the way they used to as much as there's so much more technology on these things. There's so much more, there's so many more opportunities for something to go wrong. You know, when you, when, especially on the diesel side, when you're, you're talking about the emission standards that they have to meet and all of these challenges that go into building uh, a diesel vehicle now, you know, I think there's, there's, there's just so many different opportunities for something to fail, which it wasn't the case 30 years ago. No, and you're right. So nowadays, and this is this is a topic I had the uh, conversation I had yesterday with a gentleman here, powertrain training here in Vegas. He's like, look, a lot of people can turn wrenches, but you need to know how to diag it. What is the one most important thing? Like you said, as they're evolving, and he brought it up to us, what's the most important thing right now? Is that electronics, electrical training, because everything is electronically controlled on these new diesel engines. You may have the diesel engine, you may have the fuel going in, you may, you still have everything there, but you're not, you don't have nothing without an electronic control. So you can learn how to work on the on the engine themselves. That's fairly easy to do the engine, you know, depending. Well, I can't say it's fairly easy because there's sometimes that it is really puzzling to figure out what something did minus all the electrical and all, once you get down to it, you're like, wow, how did this do this? Or how, how come I'm looking at this, you know, looking at cracks in, in the block or cracks in the piston, you don't see those until you get them out. So it could be a little bit more complex, but electrically, all that electrical stuff controls all the diesel engine functions. So you've got to have the electrical as well. So with going to school, yeah, Go through the different things of, of mechanical side, but make sure you really, really soak in the electrical part of side because that's where a lot of it's changing. Everything is all controlled by this or that or this or that. You may have three steps in a row that control your injector. And what do we do about it? Well, if you're not trained how to do it, then you don't know how to do it. Yeah. And Go through the training and, the, and, and really utilize that training in those trade schools, you have a good idea of. How to, how to work on a newer age diesel. Well, and I think you learn the theory behind it, right? I think that is a, a really vital piece is knowing why something works the way it does so that when you're tearing into it, that you, you know, you have an idea, one, of how to put it back together, but really in order to diagnose something, you got to know how it runs. Right. Well, and the thing is, I'm still learning. I learned a lot, which I'm thankful for and I love it, but I'm still learning. There's times where I go out to a racetrack and I see a race truck out there and it literally just the truck and the engine and the driver, you know, whatever, basic. And I'm looking, I go, what? And I don't know about some of that stuff. I, I'm learning more about it as I go to all the time, but I'm always learning. I love to learn because if you say, oh, well, I learned this. I don't need to do any more. You're pretty much shooting yourself in the foot. You know, there's ongoing, continuing classes you can take when you graduate from a trade school. And, and I encourage that. If you went to a trade school and people are, are offering you these courses or your employer is, take advantage of it because that training is going to help you continue to do what you do to be able to make a living for your family. Yeah. I'm always learning. I just signed up for a class that's a week-long class later this month. I don't work on engines anymore. I don't I don't <laughs> turn wrenches anymore, but I want to know what it is. I want to know how that works. I want to know because I still get calls all the time from the media side of stuff. It's like, oh, it's diesel garage. It's diesel garage media. Well, what do you mean? 
well, we promote the diesel industry. <laughs> well, can, you know where we can get a shop here? You know, luckily, I know a lot of shop owners around the country. I said, hey, where are you at? Well, we're over here. Well, it's going to be down the road a ways. And that's what the Diesel Garage Network is for. So it's like, okay, but I'm always learning. You always got to learn because there's always stuff changing. Yeah, I, I, I'm that way myself as well. Just, just love learning that aspect of it. And it's funny because some of the stuff that I didn't take as seriously when I was younger, you know, coming out of school. Now I look back, I'm like, man, I wish I would have taken that a little bit more serious, uh, you know, to to be able to right. understand the theory. Because you know, even if I'm tinkering in my garage right now, it is it's super helpful to to just know that stuff. Technicians, are you looking for a new job? Even if you're just casually looking, you need to check out Reverse Job Posts. Reverse Job Posts flips the traditional job board around. Now, you can fill out a short questionnaire and let shops reach out to you with job opportunities. No resume needed. The best part is, all of your contact information remains anonymous until you are ready to share it. It's a great way to explore new job opportunities, and it's completely free. Download the Wrenchway app in the App Store or on Google Play to try Reverse Job Posts for free. Links to download are in the show notes. One of the really cool pieces of what you're doing that I think is just incredible is bringing awareness to the industry and and really maybe showcasing the best of the industry by putting together shows and, and doing things that really show off the cool parts about our industry. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you do there? Well, a lot of the shows I've I've done, I do promotions for. So say you had a show and you wanted to promote it, you you wanted to get sponsors. We talk to sponsors about that to get those parts out there and have have you guys have a booth out there. So that way people can learn about your products. I'm going to use a good example. Uh, A friend of mine, Guy Goldstein, he works for BD Diesel. He's all, I see him all over the Western U.S., almost at all the shows I've been at for the past 10 years since I've been doing this, at least this part. I see him everywhere, and he's always, oh, did you see this new stuff? We got this new product out. I'm like, cool, show me how it works. So it's really cool to see vendors come out and bring their products out so the public can learn about them and, and use the, utilize those, those new things. Um, this year, where I'm actually doing my own, my very first show by myself for Diesel Garage Media, can't do it by myself because I got a heck of a, uh, a team of people behind me helping me. But Diesel Garage Media is putting on our, our first show this year, and it's the Great Alaskan Truck Show. And so we want to have a good time with, with people to come out, um, you know, learn about new products that are out there through some of the vendors and stuff that are out there and the sponsors that are helping make it happen. And then just to give back to the industry. And we're also going to be giving away a scholarship up there when we're up there. That's the goal. If we can raise enough money. We'll give out two scholarships and a scholarship is about $10,000 a piece. But we really appreciate all the help that we get to, to do that and to be able to give back and do those things. So we also have another event kind of in the pre-planning, trying to figure out a, how do I put this? You'll just have to stay tuned to Diesel Garage Foundation because it does have to do with, with the future of diesel and having something to show everybody. And that's about all I can say because there, there's some big stuff coming up uh, with Tyler. You know, he's got the virtual expo coming up and there's different things that I'm going to talk to him about as well. So uh, some really cool stuff coming out in the diesel industry. I think it'll really help a lot of people understand more um, and educate them a little bit more so we can get them a little more education on that side. That's all. That, that's exactly what we want to do. Let's help educate them 
where they can do better. They can get a raise at their job or change jobs or do something like that. That's, that's the whole goal. Well, what better way than to bring a bunch of cool trucks together and, and kind of showcase them, dress them up. And, and, you know, I think when, when you look at it from a kid's standpoint, you know, in, if you're planting seeds with that eight-year-old or that nine-year-old that's out there right now, and they think that's pretty cool, that might kind of open their mind, even if they don't have a diesel background, to, to be able to come into this business. Yeah, it, it might. You know, the more they can see it, because you really don't see a whole lot of promotions on it or a whole lot of shows, like I said, in from the schools that the, those classes aren't there anymore. So how do we get younger kids, even younger, to do that? And usually it's only by, hey, we're hanging out with dad today out in the garage. We're you know changing the oil or doing something like that. There's a lot of people now that are really getting back to that and really doing a lot more without across the diesel industry. And you see that predominantly in the diesel motorsports. You see a lot of uh, families out there, husband and wife and kids, they're all out there working on that truck to, to make sure that they get that next pass on the racetrack court or to make sure that that sled pull, you know, coming up next, like, whoa, okay, make, make sure we got the right tire inflation. Hey, grab me the hose over there. Hey, we got to get this, you know, whatever it is, you got the family involved and it's really turned more back to a family focused deal because you do spend a lot of time away from home in the motorsports industry. So wife and kids always usually go or it's husband and kids, because there's a lot of women. I don't want to leave the women out there. So women, definitely giving you credit for what you do out there, because there's a lot of women drivers that drag race, uh, sled pull. There's a lot of them that just like to work on diesel engines. As you can see on social media nowadays, too, there's a lot of women that work on heavy equipment, a lot of big yellow iron. Great. More power to them. That's awesome. More diversity. Awesome. So we definitely got to uh, make sure that that's a well-rounded occupation that people like. Well, that's a that's a great, great point. Something we've done a lot of content around is getting more women into the industry in general. I think it's vitally important to the health of our industry as we move forward that that we are maybe a little bit more accommodating. You know, maybe they're you know, we talk about all these barriers and I think that, that, you know, there's barriers for women to get in the industry, too. And I think the more we can take those those barriers away the easier it is for them to make the call to come in and have a successful career in this business. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, 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 they've helped fill positions when we couldn't find other people for that. And the women have stepped up and said, Hey, I want to drag race. I want to work on this stuff. I want to go to school for this. Awesome. I think it's great. I think it's an awesome deal for them to, to, to get into. I encourage both, whatever, even my daughter, I tell her, Hey, you want to go to mechanics class? That's great. Hey, you want to do this? That's great. Do what you want to do. I encourage it. So it's all good. And and we need to encourage more women to do those. Hey, you can work on these things. Well, where do you see that? Well, check out some of the social media. If you you need to find out, hey, go to social media. You see a lot of stuff all over. I mean, TikTok's full of them and they got that uh, Instagram and Facebook. They're full of people and women that are working on diesels that, that show pictures and video of what they're doing and they're working on heavy iron so they can do it. So that should be encouraging for the younger generation to say, Hey, that, that girl there can do it. How come little Susie can't do it? She can. She just has to have the right frame of mind and be encouraged to do it rather than saying, Oh, well, don't do that. Or don't do this. You got to be encouraging to, to those guys. Yeah. I, I, I think you hit on a, a key point that is 
really important in terms of industry industry's involvement in getting more people into the into this business and you know not just relying on the school whether it's the high school providing that training or sparking that interest but you know looking at opportunities to get involved with the the school if they don't have a program hey come out to our shop we'll show you what it's all about you know do job shadows do apprenticeships you know i think for the longest time there was uh, and there's still a lot of shops that won't allow anybody in their shop that's under 18 years old uh, i think there's more getting around that now or working with their insurance providers to get around that but I, I don't think we can leave it up to chance anymore. Like I, I think from an industry standpoint, we have to get involved with these schools and you know, whatever excuses or barriers there are, we need to figure out ways to get around them, right? Like I, I just think there's so much value in in more people in this business. And if we just leave it up to the schools to generate that interest, there there's not going to be enough interest to, to really move the needle. No, you're you're right. We really need to get the uh, those those shop classes back into schools because if you look at it, on average, about 3,500 students come out each year as, as diesel technicians. You know, anywhere from 3,500 to 5,000. Well, we're short 100,000 right now. 100,000. We're still way short of what we need in all the different places. So how can we encourage more people to do it? And you're right, that barrier is there. If they're not, if we're not teaching them at a young age. And having that shop class availability, how are they going to be able to get into there and, uh, you know, and, and do this stuff? So it, it is a challenge. It is definitely a, a big barrier. And, and the answer to it, I don't know. I don't know the real answer. The best answer I can give is, hey, I'm going to try to do my best to go out and talk to people, spread the word about it, and let people know about the foundation and let them know that there's an opportunity there. That's the best I can do as a person and, and network with great people like you and Tyler and other people. That, hey, let them know about it. There's opportunity out there. Not just one person, but there's there's a network of people that really want to help. You just have to seek it. Yeah. And, and kids have to be encouraged to follow something that they want to do. Yeah, I I agree. It's a, it's a close-knit family in this industry. I think that's one of the major appeals to me. And, you know, I grew up in this business and I, I feel that there's so many of just my personal friends and, and connections that have been, you know, brought to me by the industry. And it, it really is something that I think is unique to our industry and how close everybody is and, and how, how tight-knit that network is. So definitely one of the, the big advantages and one of the big pieces that is important to make sure that we're uh, communicating to young people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the more we, more we address the barrier to get them in, in interested at a younger age, that that's going to help us out tremendously. The more we can get uh, people interested that, that maybe, you know, uh, married wife and two kids, but they really want to try something or two kids, you know, whatever the family size situation is, man, I really want to, uh, to, you know, get into the automotive. I can, I can do my hobby stuff on my car here. But, you know, I can make money doing it at a dealership. But how do I get in there? How do I get training to do this stuff? Letting them know that there's an outlet there, you know, because we work with the colleges. Um, we don't have a, an admittance board or anything. So we go out to the colleges and talk to them and say, hey, we've got a couple of scholarship opportunities available. You guys obviously know and you have, have the applicants. You know somebody that's really in need of the financial help to get through school. 
let's go through and talk about it. That way we can step in and with the school and say, hey, let's do this. They know somebody. So we're networking with them to even help even more. So that way we can figure out, hey, we're going to put a scholarship here. We can award a scholarship there. Like I said, the, 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 more, the more backing we have from the community and the diesel industry, the more people we can get through the training courses and get them taken care of. Which is a, a really cool thing. So as we're, we're getting close to the end of the podcast here, why don't you give us a little background on the, the media side of your business? Media side? I promote anything diesel. If you had a diesel lawnmower, I want to see, <laughs> see video or you call me and say, hey, I'm over here. I try to come out and see you or whatever, get a video. There's so much diesel technology out there. It, it's not even funny. Like, for example, race trucks. A lot of people say, oh, diesels can't race. Diesel can't race. Well, I would beg to differ because there's a certain guy I know, their truck, and I know another guy that their his car, Nova car, a lot of a lot of people know what I'm talking about now. The green Nova 66, uh, 67 was was pretty pretty bad. My my it may or may not be being rebuilt right now to go a little <laughs> faster, but 399 in eighth mile for a diesel engine. That's crazy. Flat out moving. So I want to promote that. So there's people right now that are looking for people in the race team that know how to work on diesel. You don't have to go to work at a shop. You don't have to go to work here and there. Have the basics and know how to work on the diesel. They'll teach you how to do those different things. Plus, it's not a, a complete science. There's a rule or, or a book you open up and say, oh, this is how you build a race diesel. Everything is trial and error. So you're learning on the job to do that stuff. So there's so much opportunity that's out there. So I try to promote the diesel industry, the sports, tractor pulling, agricultural stuff, marine diesel. Recently, I've been interested in a lot more marine diesel and been following a, a page called Pershing Yachts on Instagram. I didn't know this, but some of those boats have twin MTU diesel engines in them, 2,600 horsepower apiece. I'm like, what? How do you get a 100-foot yacht in the water doing 26 to 35 knots and throwing a 40-foot rooster tail powered by a diesel. I'm like, how has that happened? Yeah. So there's there's so much. So the media side, I like to promote that, and I try to put a calendar of events um, up on the website. That way people can say, oh, well, hey, we're going to be by this, or you know, go check out that event, or go to this event, or something like that. If they, if they have an event coming up, they can send it in to us. We'll put it on a website. That way we can help promote the that there on the calendar. People can take a look at it and say, hey, I'm going to be in... Uh, Indiana? Indiana, there you go. My brain just froze because I'm like, (laughs) I know it's back there somewhere. And, uh, you know, just get out stuff like that. So I I just like to promote it. Like we go to SEMA every year and go check out some of the new stuff, show you guys some pictures, you know, and and share those on social media of some of the crazy bills they've got going on, you know, different things like that. But And it's great to be able to do those things and, and to put on events and help others promote their event, you know, from Texas to Alaska and here and everything else. You know, it's just really cool to get out there and be part of the industry and say, hey, man, this is really cool. Let's see how people built stuff last year. They change it over this year so they go faster. Well, what do you end up doing? It's just mind-boggling all the different possibilities of how they build it. And then to see them go, you know, have a four-wheel drive truck do a burnout and, you know, go five seconds down the track, you're going, what? How do they do that? Yeah. And you go look at the truck and you're like, okay, you got some of this stuff here and, and, it's all just, uh, it changes every day. 
So it's just pretty cool to promote the diesel industry that way. Well, that's great. I uh, appreciate all you're doing to bring exposure to the industry. How do people get in touch with you, Eric? Well, for the Diesel Garage Foundation, if you want to know more about that, just go ahead and go to dieselgaragefoundation.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's a, a thing in there, get in contact. You can click on that, send me an email, and uh, I'll, I'll get the email and give you a call or shoot you, shoot you an email back. Uh, you can check us out on uh, social media on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. If you got a question about something, shoot us a message, and I try to try to get back to everybody as soon as possible. Um, and if I don't know the answer to it, I'll say, hey, I may not know the answer right now, but I'm going to talk to a guy and see if I can help get the answer for you. That way, at least I can try to help out because I don't know all the answers, but I know a guy. Yeah, you know, They might know something. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And and again, appreciate everything you're doing out there. Thank you for joining us for the podcast and look forward to talking to you in the future. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. You guys have a great day and we'll be talking more in the future as well.